Welcome to the Starlight Pet Talk podcast, where we'll talk about and explore ways to help pet parents and future pet parents learn everything they need to know to have a happy and healthy relationship with their pet. So sit up and stay for Starlight Pet Talk, rescue, adoption, and pet parenting done right. Welcome to Starlight Pet Talk. I'm your host, Amy Castro. And in today's episode, we're going to discuss a difficult subject that most pet parents don't really want to talk about, and that is the death or impending death of a pet. But no matter how we feel about the subject, the bottom line is our pets just do not live as long as we wish that they would. And it's important that when their time on this earth is coming to an end, that we are as prepared as we can possibly be. So our guest today is Nancy Gordon, and Nancy is a number one international best-selling author, speaker, and a transformational life-changing expert who knows firsthand what it's like to deal with not only loss and grief, but the anticipatory stage of grief once we know a pet's time is coming to an end. So Nancy, thank you so much for making time to be with us here today. Oh, I'm so honored to be here and happy to have this conversation because it's so needed in the world. Definitely, definitely. So I know that you're a licensed clinical social worker and you have been for many, many years. How did it, how did you change direction in your career and really focus in on specializing in pet loss and grief? Um, my career as a licensed clinical social worker and a certified life coach has been spanned about 43 years and from the very beginning, I learned that no matter what presenting problem a client brought in, there was always an element of loss and grief involved. So I've been involved in helping people heal and recognize loss and grief in so many different you know from so many different sources. It could be a divorce somebody came in with or loss of a job or loss of health, uh, loss of people, parents, that sort of thing. So loss and grief has always been a big part of my work. The pet loss came about with my two service dogs as they began to age and have more chronic and some disabling conditions that when my dog Toaster at the age of 14 um, really started suffering with compressed discs and mm -hmm. um, difficulty walking and pain. And I, I mean, I really saw over time, it wasn't overnight, but over time that she was becoming, you know, more and more disabled and more and more close to that time when I could see I, I'm going to lose her at some point and I may need to assist her at some point. And for, from the age of 14, when that was really occurring and she just, she just survived a lung cancer surgery. Um, I realized, you know, I couldn't face it. So mm -hmm. my anticipatory grief, which is knowing she just survived cancer, um, seeing her her compressed discs really impacting her stability and her mobility um i i went i started that process of anticipatory grief seeing that she's going to be gone 
maybe sooner than later. And my first response was, this can't be happening. Mm. Denial, uh, shock. It's like, I, I knew consciously kind of, we all know that our pets are probably going to die before us, but what that really means and what that experience is really like is, uh, it's shocking. It's like, Mm. I can't believe this is actually going to happen. I've got to stop this. I've got to stop her from dying. And so for two years, I was in that stage of anticipatory grief, not in an intense way, at first, as it w- at, as it became in the last two months, um, when I was realizing I'm I'm going to have to make a decision about helping her, assisting her. Mm-hmm. Um, so that whole journey, you know, of anticipatory grief, I I was familiar with in that my mom had a two year cancer journey mm. that was my first real experience with the loss, a serious loss, major loss of a person in my life. And so that two years while my mom was dying, um, it was actually kind of like Toaster. The, it was really interesting, the parallels between Toaster's journey um, of you know, her debilitation and then dying and my mom's was very similar. And it was actually both a two year period. By the time my mom, and my mom died first before Toaster. So the two years, um, the first two years I was very, or first year and a half, I was very aware with my mom of like making everyday matter. Mm -hmm. I changed my behavior. I changed how I was in the relationship with her. And that happened to occur at a time where I was experiencing my own journey through, um, the consequences of a major car accident six years earlier. And I had to close my practice ultimately after six years because I was just getting so debilitated. I couldn't work. Mm. And so I started that journey, you know, and I was in my own anticipatory grief of seeing myself decline and realizing I'm going to have to, you know, close my business. Mm. Um, And then my mom. So I, I just had, closed my business like less than a year earlier and I got toaster. I found toaster. And then my mom three weeks later got diagnosed with terminal cancer. And, and so I was already on disability. Now I was already not working. So I could spend every day with her, which was a huge gift. But you know, all of that I've been in, I've been through every, you know, every major loss I've had, and I've had a lot of them um, have, included that this stage of anticipatory grief. And yet no one talked about that term. No one really explained what was going on in the experience of losing my mom. But towards the end, um, when she really became ill and had a stroke and couldn't speak, um, I was so aware of the angst and the, and the conflict that that created because it was so hard to watch her suffer. And at the same time, I couldn't bear the thought of my mom dying. Mm -hmm. It was really difficult. It's part of the experience. And the same thing happened to me with Toaster. And so I began to really understand this experience, this part of the experience 
of knowing of impending death and loss, whether it's two years or six months or a month, there's a window of opportunity there that can make all the difference in how you experience the loss, how you experience the relationship while you have it, and how you recover and and grow from the experience after the loss happens. Interesting. You know, I was I was just sitting here thinking, uh, um, you know, I, I like to define define things for myself. Like, is that a good thing or not a good thing? And you know, it. I mean, it, it is what it is. It you know, if people do face that, but personally, I'm the kind of person who I tend to try to shut that off so that I'm not experiencing that grief for that extended period of time. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I wonder when you talk about that window of opportunity, where, how does one find kind of that healthy balance between, yes, you, you know, the end is coming and um, you want to make the most of the time that you have left, but at the same time, not kind of living on the brink of death all the time. If, does that make sense? Oh, total. It totally makes sense. And it's, that's, I call it a tightrope. It's like mm. walking a tightrope between, um, you know, sort of the, the discomfort and the suffering. Like, how do you mm. find that balance? Like, you don't want to be suffering through losing your pet. At the same time, you don't want to shut it down. Like you would be like, when you say, when you said what you do, you just want to turn it off and not face it. You're like my perfect mm-hmm. client because <laughs> <laughs> this is, Sign me up. <laughs> this, this, this is the heart of learning how to navigate grief. And the fact is we as humans experience loss throughout life in many different forms. Like I said earlier, a divorce, a job change, a being fired, um, a relationship ending, you know, the list goes on and on. Your kids go to college, you have an empty nest. There's just inherent loss in life. And uh, in fact, sometimes I joke about life should be spelled L-O-S-S and then learn how to navigate it. So um, it, it really is. So there is so much value because of that in learning how to face it, in finding the courage, in building your sort of building your character, building your life experience around the strength that, uh, and the lessons and the gifts that learning how to navigate loss can bring you. Um, I talk a lot about in my book that's coming out, I miss you already bearing the unbearable loss of your pet is all about the, using the anticipatory grief stage, navigating it, understanding and learning about grief and how to make that a healing experience, a transformational experience instead of a tragedy. I see mm-hmm. so much um, so much guilt with people, pet parents that I work with. Uh, it's almost universal. I can almost guarantee if somebody's calling me for pet loss, they're going to have guilt issues. And not that it's deserved, but it's um, it's part of the consequence of not dealing with the anticipatory grief. Sometimes mm. they look back, they come to me the day after, I wish I hadn't done it. I wish I had done this differently, did that differently. And it's, it's too late. So, mm. you know, then we work a lot about 
guilt and regret and how and self-forgiveness, self-compassion, those sort of things are really mm. heartbeats of this work. So I, I don't know if I answered your question, but to, to no, you say, did. okay, good. Yeah. No, but go ahead and say what you were going to say. Cause well, I was just going to say, so the, the, you know, the pandemic has been a horrific experience globally. Mm-hmm. I have no, no, no qualms about that. So what I'm about to say may sound like I think it was a great thing, but it's not. However, one of my seven practices that I developed from the time of my car accident through all of these years and through applied them through my grief journey with Toaster and Pink, that there is a way to see the glass half full. There is a way to see, like what my mom used to say, there's always a silver lining in every cloud. Now, mm-hmm. and that doesn't discount the pain. That doesn't discount that the that COVID took an enormous toll on everybody's heart and relationships, you know, were lost and people died alone and horrific things. But at the same time, what the pandemic gave us is an is a window and a door to go through about dealing with loss and grief because it's un, it became unavoidable and it became mm. global. And that became a global grief. That means we all experienced loss at the same time over these last several years and continuing to experience that. So the good thing about COVID is that it, it, it took grief out of the closet. And, Mm. and now we, now we can educate people and help and help support people to navigate that experience that's unavoidable, which is loss and grief. Yes. Yeah. And you, you led me right to my, to my next point, which is when you're talking about, you know, supporting people, how in, in the work that you do, um, you know, Tell me what kinds of people that you were working with or that you think would benefit from working with um, an expert like yourself, and maybe a little bit about what kinds of things you do. We can we can split those into two two questions. So okay, let's good. talk about the yeah. kind of people that you work with, and then uh, we can talk about the other question. Okay, so the people that I work with, unfortunately, are more people who contact me after the pet loss, sometimes within Mm. the same day, sometimes a day after, sometimes a week, months, six months, a year later. That's good that they're, that they're reaching out for some professional support and guidance to help them heal and help them use their grief journey as a transformational journey of personal growth. That's how I see it. It's a springboard Mm. to, um, look at how other parts of their life has unhealed grief that they can now help to to get through differently. But what I really want to see, and one of the reasons why I'm, you know, so happy to be on so many podcasts, is to to open people's eyes and heart and mind that contacting someone like me professionally for support while they're in that anticipatory grief experience can make such a difference in their whole experience of loss. And it also makes a difference in the experience of the pet's transition because Mm. we know our pets from the, from the caller 
up the leash to our, our own hands and heart and mind, our pets, our dogs feel what we feel. They know mm -hmm. what we're going through. And can you imagine how hard it is for an animal to see the behaviors of pet parents through really no fault of their own, but lack of education and lack of understanding and lack of support and lack of no, not knowing how to do it differently. They get irritable with their pets. They get impatient with their pets who are mm. no longer functioning in the same way that they were. I, I, and I speak personally, I admit it's one of the little guilts that I had with pink. Um, because of some of the things that I didn't understand or I didn't want to see about mm. her level of functioning. Cause I had to, I had to help her six months or nine months after toaster. So within mm. nine months, I lost both my service dogs. Toaster was 17 and pink was 14. So th that's wow. a long time to be. Yes. And they were, and they were also my service dogs, which adds another component to the meaning of that relationship and the dependence mm -hmm. I had on them. So there's so many things you can change, like become aware mm. of that irritability, become aware of the impatience, become aware of your own anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety people experience and depression, both. They're almost like the mm -hmm. same coin, different side. Um, and they are definite parts of all the grief journeys. But in anticipatory grief, when people are not dealing with those feelings, they get depressed, they get anxious, mm -hmm. they don't get support, they don't even sometimes really understand what's going on. They don't even know what they're doing. So it's so important for people to get professional help, to get the support um, and the, the wisdom and the guidance of people who've been through it. Right. You know, I was, it made me think about the fact that in just thinking about this whole concept of anticipatory grief, as somebody that has worked in a veterinary practice and, you know, working in animal rescue, that's that time period from the time a pet starts to decline and you think, okay, the end is getting near, in addition to all the emotional factors that, that come into play in those situations, there's a lot of decisions that people are forced to make or that they don't make. You know, people always want to know, like, when is the right time to to make that decision to end a pet's a pet's life, let's say. And is it time yet? You know, is it is it tomorrow? What what day is it? What signs am I looking for um, to say it's time? Because I don't feel like people do get great support. No, most people, even in the veterinary profession, don't want to be the one to tell you it's time you need to do it today. Do you feel like, right. or how do you feel like working with an expert? Would it, would that help that process for people to just get some clarity? Absolutely. And that's really what I counsel people to do, pet parents to do if they come to me in that anticipatory grief stage. Um, and I think the real, the real key for us professionals to help pet parents through those kinds of decisions is to work mm -hmm. collaboratively for the veterinarians to offer their wisdom and pieces of advice. I can understand that, you know, a lot of veterinarians maybe are concerned about being held responsible for suggesting or really advising or telling someone to do it. Um, sure. It's a, it's a complicated, it's a complicated issue. And, 
for me, I think the way to collaborate and to deal with all that is for people like me, professionals like me, to work hand in hand with the, the pet parent and the veterinarian. So like a lot of times I help pet parents know what to ask their vet and how to ask their vet for the opinions because the veterinarians are the front line in terms of that decision of euthanizing. They're they're on the front lines because they know what we don't know about right. this condition. And and sometimes people don't know what they don't know what they don't know and they don't know how right. to ask for what they don't know. And so that's where a professional like me working with a vet can help them. And the veterinarian can help them by explaining. And I think this is what a lot of pets, uh, uh, veterinarians do is explain in the best terms they can of, you know, the pros and cons and the pluses and minuses and the what ifs to whatever extent that they can say, Mm -hmm. this may happen, this probably will happen and leave the decision up to the pet parent. But, you know, one of the, again, here's a perfect example of why it's so important to get help navigating anticipatory grief. First of all, when you're in this, in this situation, you're often, like I said, anxious, depressed, not sleeping well. When you're not sleeping well and you're not eating well and you're not doing good self-care because you're caring for your pet. I've had, I've had pet parents who have come to me and said, I'm not sleeping. I'm, I'm waking up all the time to make sure they're still alive to make sure Mm. they're okay. And so how do you make cognitively, how do you make good decisions when you're going through a situation like that? You're, if you're not sleeping well, you're not making good decisions. You're not even necessarily able to make, to process information. And that's again, where working with somebody can be that second set of eyes and ears to help you process and make better decisions. And when you do that, you prevent a lot of guilt that I hear from pet parents after they've lost the pet, but didn't get the help before they, they lost the pet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, in those instances where you mentioned, it sounds like the vast majority of people, it's after the pet's already passed away or was euthanized. You, you mentioned this idea of working through the guilt. Um, what kind of things could you maybe share with us, maybe a couple of tips on how people, you know, if they didn't have the luxury of working with an expert, are there things that we can do as pet parents to kind of navigate this process successfully if we had to, to do a couple of things on our own? Yeah, so that's a tough that's a tough question to answer because a lot of my part of my answer is getting support and help, professional okay. help. But that said, the more people educate themselves about pet loss and grief, the more they understand about grief in general um and the stages of grief and how to heal grief, that will help them. It's a big part of my work and my mission in what I do is to make a difference in how people perceive, understand, experience, support, and heal loss and grief. So education is, is really a number one. I mean, what you don't know, you can't deal with differently. So I think educating about the grief journey, about pet loss. And then the other thing is if they can't afford professional support, and I try and offer support in a variety of ways. So there's group support, there's um, 
work through like sort of a DIY course kind of support for pet loss mm-hmm. and grief through my workbook of seven practices and those sorts of things, um, as well as individual work work with people. So they can find those kinds of resources. And also, I think finding people and ident- knowing how to identify, if nothing else, learn how to identify people that can provide you support, family members, friends, you know, outside, you know, support systems to create as much of a support system as you can will help you. You know, one of the, one of the most important pieces of um, going through grief is to be witnessed, is to have somebody that you trust to listen and not judge you um, for whatever it is you're going through with your pet loss, whether mm. it's in the anticipatory stage or after, and to learn how to identify that there are people that are helpful and there are people that are not helpful. <laughs> and to not try and make a not helpful person understand you is is not um, probably in your best interests at that time. That that is such an excellent an excellent point. You know, in my in my work and doing a communication training, the concept of empathy is much more elusive to some than others. And when it comes yeah. to pet loss, you know, it's it's so interesting how different people have different. Um, it's it's just a different relationship with their pets. I've even thought about you know just the fact that we use, you know, when somebody refers to themselves as a pet parent versus a pet owner, the language there creates yes. a different a differentiation in the relationship and so for somebody who is who perceives themselves to be a pet parent and this is my fur baby this is my child right uh, you already know people you already know the people in your life lives who already don't relate to that and so yes. to Nancy's to Nancy's point you're not going to change that person into suddenly being empathetic when you're going through this process. You're going to get the, well, it's just a dog. You can always get another one kind of response, which is like right. a slap in the head to a, right. to a pet parent. So I'm, I'm right. glad you said that because you really do need to, you know, it's a vulnerable time for people and you're looking to um, at least be heard, you know, maybe not necessarily even validated with your feelings and what you're going through, but at least to be heard and yeah. supported and yeah. you're not going to get it from from people who don't have it to give. Yes, that's right. And that really is something that that lack of understanding on people's parts about the value of the pet relationship also is filtered through almost everything. So p- people's expectations of how long you should be grieving your your pet, um, like, aren't you over it yet? you know, like, when are you going to get another dog? Those kinds of responses are so not helpful, but they don't understand. They don't know what they don't know, which is, I think, part of your point. It's like, if they're a pet owner and not a pet parent, they don't know what they don't know. Right. They don't know what it's like to have a different kind of relationship with the pet. And I think those of us that have and I speak for myself, I think for a long time, I didn't realize that difference. In my mind, because of my experience with Toaster and Pink and cats I had previously, I assumed that anyone who had a dog was a pet <laughs> parent like me, 
right. their pet, that dog was their baby. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I did sort of wander into interactions with people who were pet mm-hmm. owners. And I was like, who are you? What, wait, wh- what? I don't get it. Um, <laughs> what do you, what do you mean? You don't understand what I'm saying, you know, it, it, but there is a difference. It, and I think you're defining, you're defining pet owner, the term pet owner versus pet parent is so good, Amy, because it really does demonstrate that the language that we use is a huge source of education and understanding and then responding. So like now when someone says, uh, uh, oh, I'm a pet owner, I'm cued already now to know that they may have a different experience and understanding of pet loss than a person who comes to me and says, I'm a pet parent. This is my fur baby. This is my baby. This is my child. I will do anything. I would die for this dog, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, then then it's a, it's a totally different language. And language is so important. I'm writing a, a book on that right now, which probably will start out as an article um, about the language of loss. Yes. And, and I know in one of your, one of the interviews I, I loved, and you, you can explain it to us if you would. Um, sure. Your, your, your alternative verbiage for putting an animal down or, you know, putting them to sleep or the, whatever terminology we might use. Yes. Yes. So you're referring to um, the segment in Dr. Becker's interview about the term lift up. Yes. Instead of put down for for youth for describing euthanasia. It's it's the heartbeat of my work. And it was the heartbeat of my work that started that Toaster taught me. So mm. there's a whole element. One of my uh, other practices of the seven is surrendering and surrendering is what you have to do when you decide to euthanize your pet. It's the letting go. It's the surrendering. It's the letting go. How you do that makes all the difference for you and the pet and anyone else who's in relationship to that pet. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I had a lot of denial and and resistance to really believing that Toaster was going to die and that Mm -hmm. I even may have to help her. I actually said to myself, how can you kill your dog? How can mm. you kill Toaster? Those, that mm. was the language I had. I can't kill my dog. I can't kill Toaster. How, how can people do this? I mean, for the first time in my life, I never, I, I never really questioned euthanasia. It wasn't that I had a negative judgment about it. It wasn't that I thought people were killing their animals. Uh, right. I, just, I just didn't really think about it. I just accepted it. Uh, that this is what happens. But when it came to my own personal journey with Toaster, I had no, I had no uh, words and no ability to be able to embrace doing that. Mm. And so I was having a conversation with somebody about that fact. uh, And I said, I can't put down my dog. I can't put Toaster down. I don't know how I could bear doing that. And then I thought about the language put her down. Well, what about lift her up? What about make the decision and make a plan and make the experience of letting her go of surrender, healing and beautiful instead of traumatic and tragic. And that's how Mm -hmm. I came up with the term lift up. And so now I have a whole methodology. That's part of how I help parents is, is to create a lift up, not a put down. 
Mm. God, that's beautiful. That's it's it's you're creating a completely different experience. Um, yes, you know, starting with the words, but it it just words have such power, and you know, by by changing the verbiage, you change your outlook and you change the experience. I think that's exa- that's um, exactly right. It's a mindset shift. It was a whole mindset change for me that then I gave Toaster three weeks. I set the date three weeks ahead and I planned out. I did nothing but but spend time with Toaster and Pink and I did nothing but give Toaster special attention. Pink mm-hmm. was a, Pink was an attention hog. Uh, literally and toaster (laughs) and and toaster was so you know loved pink so much and she was more of an introverted personality anyway that she let pink get you know all so much attention pink would get in between her face literally in between her face and (laughs) my my face and toasters sometimes on the couch um and i didn't i that's what one thing that i changed in you know and Mm. how i how I managed this letting go experience is I made sure that Toaster went on errands with me in the car and I didn't take Pink. Uh, Toaster went to a movie with me, sat around my neck where Pink used to do that. Toaster would be on my low back as a service dog, mm-hmm. heating my low back and Pink would be on my neck. But Toaster, so Toaster started out as my service dog and she helped me with my neck pain. That's where she mm-hmm. started with me was all around my neck. And now we know why she was called Toaster. I was going to ask yes. you to tell the to tell that story, but you did. So I, I love that. I lo- well, I didn't tell it. I didn't tell it in, in complete. Let me tell it in complete, in complete okay. story because it's really sweet. When I had my car accident, I ended up with uh, fibromyalgia and a mild traumatic brain injury, and so I had a lot of neck pain. And um, I was while I was working while I was still in my practice before Toaster. I uh, used a microwave neck wrap like 24 seven. So mm. when I learned about Toaster's breed, which is the Sholos Quintley, the Mexican hairless, um, they're hairless and coated. Toaster was coated very lightly and pink was a hairless. And she, uh, I, I learned about how the, her breed was revered in the ancient Aztec culture over 3,500 years ago as a spiritual mystical healing dog. And part of their healing was physical muscle pain relief by putting the their hot bodies against our skin where we had pain hmm. or arthritis. That's in their history, written history. So when I learned about that, I thought, I'm going to get a toy size because they come in three sizes. I'm going to get a toy size Sholo and put her around my neck and call her my 24-7 no microwave hot dog. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> instead, instead of the twenty four seven microwave, you know, heating pad. So that that's toaster story. Great, thank you for um, sharing that. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. So if people were, if people wanted to work with you, whether it was um, on an individual basis, a group basis, I know you mentioned that you've got DIY resources, and I, gosh, I can just think of all the veterinarians that I've worked with, and hopefully are listening today to, you know, that they could benefit from consulting with somebody like like you. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you to reach out? Yes, um, I would love to work with animal related industry as a consultant and a teacher and mentor and help with educating staff, especially frontline staff about handling 
um, that acute, immediate, unexpected loss and grief. So uh, as well as pet parents, whether they're in the anticipatory grief stage or after the loss. And I have a website and a link tree where you can find a lot more information about me. Okay. Do you we want can put to- that up on the, on the screen and put it in the show notes as well. Yes, yes. So I'll, I'll get you that information you can put up. Um, and I, I like to work with people individually in professional, time-limited, structured support groups for pet loss and grief. I've got um, opportunities for people who have just experienced pet loss and grief, people who have experienced pet loss and grief a long time ago, you know, more than, more than three months, who could benefit from support. And I work with people individually. Oh, great. So a lot, a lot of options to, to get that support. And the, and the key to it all, as, as we've said, just to kind of pull it together is beforehand, not after, you know, when you're, when you're in that anticipatory stage, or you know, that's coming, that's the time to seek that help and support just to make the whole experience just so much better for you and for your pet. Yeah. And can I, can I share a quick uh, story about uh, one of my clients in that regard? Because my message is it's never too late. As long as they're breathing, it's never too late Mm -hmm. um, to do that anticipatory lift up instead of a put down. So I had a client who reached out to me from petworks.com where I have a profile contacted me the day of his appointment for a mobile vet to put his dog down. And I say put his dog down because that's how, what he was doing. Right. He contacted me and I, I happened to be available to talk to him. And so he, he contacted me because he had, he was experiencing so much guilt in this last day. So this was in the morning in this mm-hmm. last day of the fact that he couldn't stop crying. He was in such uh, grief about making this decision and letting his dog go that he was feeling guilty that he's doing this in front of his go- dog and yet he couldn't stop crying. Oh. So I said, don't stop crying. Your dog is here. He understands. He's here to support you as well. No, he doesn't want to see you crying, but he also wants to comfort you. And and you can comfort him. And so we talked about how to spend the rest of the day. That's like I did three weeks of that with Toaster. Mm -hmm. He only had the day and it still was not too late. So we made some, he made some plans with me about what he could do and how he could be and and how to interact with his dog and so forth. And he did that. And then he called me after and said, it changed everything. It changed his entire experience. And he had no guilt because even just in those last hours, he said goodbye and parted in a way that was healing for him and his dog and his it was such an honor. He was honoring his dog. That's how I helped him understand. Your crying is also honoring your dog. And he knows that. He's hmm. not upset about that. And he knows he's feeling your love. He's feeling the loss. He understands. Dogs understand so much more than we give them credit for. Oh, yeah. I agree. I agree. They teach us. <laughs> <laughs> they, they definitely do. 
Well, Nancy, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. I, I thought I kind of knew uh, knew everything about this process, not only from my own experiences with pet loss, but just in the rescue world. You know, oftentimes we're taking in animals who don't have much time as well. But you really opened my eyes today on, on a lot of different things, especially that whole concept of the anticipatory grief. So thank you so much for sharing your, your wisdom and your experiences. And we'll make sure that we have information up and available so that people can get in touch with you if they want to reach out. Thank you for saying that because that uh, that really touches my heart to know that my my mission and my purpose and how I help people you experienced that that's like you just made my day. Well, good. Thank you. I like to do that. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, thank you for listening to Starlight Pet Talk today and keep listening and make sure you give your pets a hug for us. We'll see you at the next episode. You've been listening to the Starlight Pet Talk podcast. We're glad you joined us to gain new insight on the many loving ways to adopt and care for your pets. Be sure to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. And if you want more information, go to starlightpettalk.com because your pet can't talk. Be sure to join us next time for Starlight Pet Talk.